Hello and welcome to this, my first series of podcasts, Conversations on the Menopause. Conversations with real women like you and I about our experiences, what's worked, what hasn't worked and our hopes and aspirations for the future. Hello and welcome to Karen Kelly author, podcast producer, host and presenter, author of the Lillian White Journey. I can say, Karen, I'm never going to look at a tampon the same way ever again. <laughs> Probably not a lot of people have heard of Lily White, only is a certain generation, a certain generation have heard of Lily White. And I was in London a few weeks ago and there's a shop in the centre of uh, Piccadilly Circus and it, it's actually the building which is called Lily White. And it used to be a, a really uh, famous sports shop and a sports direct owned the building now, or they, they have their shops in the building. But basically, Lily White used to be a sports shop. So it's out there. Oh. It's out there. Wow, fantastic. Well, I've ordered my copy. Have and I have, yeah, there's only two copies left on Amazon. So only really? one left. But yeah. Oh, that's good so, to know. It's only yeah. 99 pence on Kindle, just to let you know. Uh-huh. So when it arrives, Karen, I'll be asking you to sign it when I next no see you. No Thank you very much. Well, it's very Bridget Jones, it's a bit raw. It is. Yeah, yeah. But one thing I one thing I find with, with books, I read lots of books, there's millions by my bed. Sometimes I'm reading two or three at the same time. And is the ending's always disappointing. But I have to say, I'm very proud of my ending. So when you get to the ending, I want to know yeah. what you think. Excellent. Thank you. I will. And you're not only an author, are you? You're a finalist of the Pod- Podcasting for Business Awards. Yeah. Two I years know. in a row. I know, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have Karen Kelly Podcast. So I, I have two podcasts, which is um, One's Appetite for Life, which is like a business lifestyle kind of magazine, just chops into people like you, uh, different people from all walks of life. And I also have a children's podcast called Bedtime Stories, where I interview lots of picture book authors and uh, they share their stories and there's lots of jingles and things like that. And of course, I design podcasts for people like you as well. <laughs> so you're busy, busy, busy. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah. I don't know how you fit it. How do you fit it all in, Karen? Because we've not even mentioned sort of you've got a family and children and... Yeah. How do you like manage to juggle it all? Do you know, I just think it's a state of mind. Some days I I find that, you know, it's tough. Maybe I've not slept well because of the menopause and I'll maybe just reel things in a little bit and maybe reschedule my day so it fits into my brain, if you like, my brain fog at the time. Um, but yeah, you just do. I think when the children get older and you find that you've got more time, I don't know how old your children are. Mine are 14 and, and, and 18. So, of course, I'm getting my life back um, and I can take on more hours. So I do I do have other roles that I hold as well away from podcasting, which I also fit in. But you just do. It's just manageable. If you really want to do all these things, you just find a way. And time management is a key, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think organisation as well. I've never been brilliant at organisation. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think... Organized, I have to say. Uh... Yeah, see, I think that's really, really important. So what came first then, Karen? The books or, or the podcast? 
Well, it was the books because my my main career back in the 90s, there was a, a Caledonian girl with the gloves and the tartan and the beret. Um, so my main career was, it was cabin crew. And then during my life, my, my time was cabin crew, my career was cabin crew. And then after that, I was writing this book, just jotting things down, but it wasn't really a book at the time. And friends would roll their eyes. Oh my God, she's mentioning this book again. And then because life took on a different meaning, I might not touch it for months, years, and then I'd be turned back to the book and then have to start again. And then finally, I was working as an associate for a lady and she said, you need to meet um, this lady, was Sean Ellen Flint Friel. She was a copy editor. You need to meet Sean. So I met Sean and she was saying, you need to come to a literary lunch. So I went to a literary lunch and I was really inspired by other authors that were, had been in my position maybe one or two years previously. And they were there presenting their book and they really encouraged me. And I thought, I'm going to be here this time next year presenting mine, which I was. I managed to finish it in a year and got it published. It was great. <laughs> But on the back end of that, when I went, when I attended that very first literary lunch, I was invited to be a guest on a radio show, which is a local station to us, Red Chief Radio. And I was thinking, oh, I could do that. Fancy that. So <laughs> I never actually became a guest on that ladies show, but about my own show called Scarlet Ladies, um, which I was sharing with another, another lady. Then I took it over. And then the radio shows came to an end and they were live every Friday they came to an end and then they moved into podcasting and that's how I kind of channeled into podcasting so the book came first kind yeah. of and then ran, ran alongside the um the radio show and then into podcasting fantastic yeah, so it was, it was all it was all meant to be wasn't it all sort of fitted yeah. in together nicely yeah definitely and and I suppose it's interesting to to think as well. I presume at that time you were you were perimenopausal or were you menopausal? So all the time, so of course, when I first started writing the book, you are talking 20 years ago. So the menopause and perimenopause wasn't even on my agenda. It wasn't something I was thinking about. I would have had fairly regular periods, never thought about it. So um, did, did I just, did you have good hormone health then, would you say? Well... Yes and no, but I really did suffer with PMT every month. So I would be very low, very depressed, very angry, you know, throwing things and things like that, driving erratically like most females do. And then, of course, once the, the period arrives, you're calmer, you feel happy. So it wasn't terrible, not for the whole month, but the few days before, horrendous time, all the time, every month, I couldn't escape it. Um, I did try the pill for a short time, but that didn't agree with me. And apparently that's quite historical because it never agreed with my mum either or my sister. So, you know, couldn't I'm really sure. take that for long. Um, so, yeah, so it's just something you kind of accepted. You couldn't really get away from it. Uh, it didn't really interfere with my life because it was only a few days. And so, uh, yeah, so that was that was my my experience of, of, of periods and hormones, if you like. Well, I would. I had my children later in life, so I had my son when I was thirty-six. So I did I. We were having this conversation, haven't we? And <laughs> I had my daughter when I was forty. I had twins when I was forty as well. Oh, yeah. So we're twins <laughs> separated at birth, and that does play a big part. I that early onset of the perimenopause. So I would say, I don't think my body recovered from giving birth, no. and also Maggie was induced. 
Well, I, I was induced, should I say, to, for Maggie and the labour, early labour. And that didn't agree with me. She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. So I think that was a major factor in the early onset. So I would say, I remember going to the doctors when I was 44, 43, mm -hmm. 44, and suffering for years and years and years. My mood, just feeling out of sorts, achy legs, feeling really low, really low, angry, cross, all those symptoms that maybe you would get three days before your period in the younger years, but they were constant, they were constant. And then I wouldn't sleep. Sleep is a really big thing for me. So if I don't sleep, I'd get anxious the next night that oh, am I gonna sleep tonight kind of thing. No. It's a circle, isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of anxiety came into it as well. So I would say 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, horrendous years for me. Taking out the glory really of being a parent to a young child because I felt in a terrible state most of the time. I was just exhausted most of the time. And I did take on a role, which I absolutely loved, um, working for Cheshire Police. And it was answering like 999 calls and things like that. And I loved the job, so nitty gritty and so interesting. But when you don't sleep, and I had to drop off young children at the at preschool at quarter past seven and get to work for something like quarter to eight, it was exhausting. Mm. People listening to this might be thinking, oh, get a grip. But when you don't sleep, it's not just one night, it was a constant hormonal yeah. pattern. So, um, I worked for myself then. I, I left, started working for myself because it was just easier. I could get up, take the children to school, come back, maybe just get them, take a breath and then, you know, get stuck into work. So that's, that's what I did. Um, but of course, perimenopausal periods started to stop. Um, I've lost, lost count of how many years now I haven't had a period for so many years. Um, and then I've, I've, I went on to HRT and I couldn't live without it personally. So when did you go on? When did you have the HRT then? When did that start in your journey? I would say maybe late 40s. I may have been 48, 49, maybe trialing it though. But it's right. at least 12 months, 18 months to find the right fit for me. Ah, okay. For anyone that's listening that's thinking of going on to HRT, it's not for everybody. But you mm -hmm. can't just take it's not a case of one size fits all, not at all. There's so many different choices, if you like, um, that I did try several. And then along the way, apparently it created and caused a fibroid. So I had to come off the HRT, have the fibroid out, and then I thought I'm not gonna go back on it. But then the symptoms were so terrible. I think I even booked an emergency appointment to say, just put me on anything, I don't care. Oh, and so it was another gosh. 12 months. So basically it was quite a few years. So I'm 54 now. I would say it's only been the last, let's say 14 or 15 months that it's been absolutely right. So right. really when you think about it, that's yeah. 10 years ago, 10 years of, of hell um, with your hormones. And then yeah. the last kind of couple of years, it's, it's been right. And I, I'm on gel now. The gel is what you rub on your skin each yeah. evening. And then you take a progesterone tablet as well. Right. So really, that's taken that's taken a long, long time, hasn't it? I think, I wonder if sometimes now when we sort of hear about women who are going to take HRT, that it's almost as though there's this expectation that you take HRT and then you're going to feel immediately back, back to normal straight away. And actually... It's a complex, complex 
biological sort of system isn't it that we're trying to manage but the thing is hormones people just think oh the menopause hormones but hormones play a massive part in everything you know our digestive system our mentality everything it's not just um the period side of it is it they just play a massive part in in every aspect of our of our bodies and you know what i think it's really interesting because as well i mean i as a woman in my 20s and 30s and 40s i never really i used to say oh my hormones are really bad or my hormones are raging but i never really thinking about it never sort of went back and really educated about educated myself about whether it was estrogen or is it progesterone or do we need testosterone what's in there mm. I just sort of took this blanket approach that actually oh my hormones are really bad and and that was as as interesting as I got I suppose and, and I, I think hopefully now women are finding out more aren't they about yeah, but also when you're younger and things start to change you're probably not in that frame of mind are you because it's just maybe you notice things are changing, you're not quite sure. It's only when they get quite severe do we start to address them, isn't it? And working out what are we lacking. And what's really interesting, I'm sure your listeners and a lot of women may have watched the Davina McCall um, series. There's only been two episodes so far. But what's really interesting about that is when you go to see your GP and they might say, okay, you need um, estrogen and progesterone, they don't talk about the, now is it, testosterone I would say testosterone testosterone is that right yeah yeah because women need that as well yeah and that's not something that you you really discuss with your GP it's normally other two but you do need three to replace everything that's kind of disappearing when you get to certain age I think it's interesting as well because I've seen the first episode of the who's of those two um, documentaries and and I didn't watch I didn't watch the second one I found them for me quite negative really and I wanted a, a, a far more positive approach and but I think what's interesting is how our attitudes towards what our GPs are doing and and what they're not doing um, and I wonder if perhaps we're sort of expecting our GPs to have all of the answer and whether because they're generalists at the end of the day, aren't they? They're generalists. And I wouldn't hope that what they do is refer us to a menopause clinic to yeah. see an expert and who is then say, yeah, you can put the testosterone in there as well. Um, when I was younger, I, you know, this is a really funny story because when I was younger, when I returned to work after having my first child, I did some, um, I worked at a private hospital and I worked in the Amaranth Clinic. And the Amaranth mm. Clinic was dealing with women of the menopause. Oh, right. So they were seeing a GP privately, but I didn't really take it seriously. I was just typing. I was an audio typist. I was a secretary and it was interesting, but I never, ever, ever looked at any drugs they were taking or I was probably 37 and I was just covering this role for somebody and never thought twice that I'm going to hit this one day. It just wasn't on yeah. my radar. I was late thirties. Some women do hit the menopause at that age, but how funny that I worked in this environment and I've kind of really educated myself. <laughs> I didn't think twice. I just did my job and went home. 
I suppose as well because we just weren't talking about it then were we we were we we, we, it was just this thing that sort of happens and you know that's just a woman a woman woman thing isn't it that we just sort of like get on with and that's it and it was just bizarre and I think back now and I think I wish I'd taken notes on what (laughs) drugs they were taking or because these would have been drugs available that maybe aren't easily accessible for every Joe Bloggs that goes to see a normal NHS GP. But if you go yeah. private, there are injections and things that you can have if you really do suffer severely. Um, but yeah, it does it does take a while to to find the right balance. For you. Yeah, it is all about balance, isn't it? At the end of the day, and Absolutely. and I think it's it's really difficult to to find that. And I think. Yeah, if you can find a, a menopause, I don't know how many menopause clinics there are in the country and things, but I think if we had more sort of expert menopause clinics that the GPs could refer into, uh, I, I would hope that women would get that same sort of care that they would get if they were paying for it privately. I mean, for me, I know you were saying that obviously GPs are general GPs. Yes, they are, but there's more women in the world than there is men. And every single woman goes through the menopause. So it does make me a little cross that they're not educated on it and it's not part of their GP general duties. And apparently the menopause side of their their teaching is is an e-learning module. So it's something they will get round to doing, no disrespect, but in their own time, they're very busy. So it's not something they're trained during their training. And, and again, I wonder if that comes back to perceptions and the perception is that it's just a normal process that you go through life. The fact that there are some women that are suicidal, you know, is is so important. To, well, it is because I've been, when I first went to my GP, he prescribed antidepressants and I kept saying to him, I am not depressed. I know I'm not depressed, but it is a symptom of my hormones, you know disintegrating disappearing and they need replacing it's not because i'm depressed and you're trying to give me a you know serotonin or something to make me happy in my brain yes i need that but if you've got my hormones right and back up to where they should be that will naturally replace and that makes me cross because that that was a biggie talking on those on the divina mccall programs most gps well just just let's just prescribe them antidepressants you know no, yeah. it's the wrong thing to do. It's the wrong thing to do. And unfair. It's unfair. You're dismissing the issue then, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you were saying that you you plan to stay on your HRT forever then? Yeah, well, I remember who was I speaking to? So on my podcast, Appetite for Life, I interviewed um two ladies called the Anxiety Sisters, and they had been friends from college through university up until now. And these are ladies in the late fifties. And it was so good talking to them because mainly they were talking about anxiety and they were both really, really severe anxiety sufferers and they are now, but then they were bringing the menopause into into the fix. And it was really interesting talking to them. And it was one of them that said to me, most women should be on it for life. And I actually thought, I picked up on it and said, you know what, that, your hormones aren't suddenly replaced. When they've gone, 
it's not like your body finds a different way of replacing those hormones. That's why we go on HRT or a natural hormone. So why would you suddenly stop taking HRT when you think you're through the menopause? You're through the worst symptoms, but where are the hormones coming from if you just suddenly, you know, where are they coming from? So for me, if it works, it works. So I don't think I'd even wean myself off them because once they've gone, where am I getting those hormones from? I mean, am I right? Are they replaced by something else in the body? I don't mm-hmm. know. I've never been no. told that. Never no. educated on that. So why, would, why wouldn't I continue giving my body what, what it needs to keep me, myself living a, a normal, happy, busy life? It just yeah. makes sense it, to me. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a, is a really busy life. And I think that's really important to sort of make that point as well, because, you know, if you're a 54-year-old woman and a lot of what we're told is that we're over the hill at 50 in, as we hit the menopause. Oh, you know, we're invisible and um, we can't function to work and things. But you have so many, so many interests and career aspects to your career and things so what does the future hold for you then yeah well the when you say that when you reach menopause it's like oh your life's over and you can't function your life isn't over but you can't function so if you need assistance when you can't function you need to get help for that to let you function um and for me i wouldn't say it says i don't i don't know if i'm a workaholic or not but i just love what i do i I'm self-employed working as a podcaster. I love meeting different people every day and even the software side of it and the editing side of it, I've learned so much and I love that side of it. Um, I've returned to the airline industry, which I was cabin crew many years ago and I love what I do for them. It fits in with my 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 business. So that works. Um, I'm writing the sequel to my book, but anyone that's listened to this will say, well, they'll be rolling their eyes saying, here she goes again. <laughs> and, you know, I know I've not touched it, but it's there. It's in the making. And at some point I will give it my all like I did my last one. Um, and I I'm not one of those people that looks at, say, 55, 65. So I can't wait to retire. I will never retire. I know that for a fact. I will never retire unless something happens and I have no choice. But I have no desire to reach a point where. I'm no longer going to be working. My day is going to be my own. Because what will I fill it with? I'll find something else to fill it with. It's probably another job. <laughs> so I know that I, for me, I'm in the, um, is it the third phase maybe? Because obviously when I was younger, pre-children, that was the first phase. And I had a family and you do things to fit around that. That's the second phase. I'm in the third phase. It's not the third and final phase. I'm just in the third phase of my career now. And I'm hoping to climb and climb and climb. That's just my ambition. And I'm 54. And let's see where I am in another 10 years time. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Karen. So well said. Thank you. That's just wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'll be getting your second second book when it's out. Yes. Make sure and let me know how you go on with the ending of Lillian White's journey. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Thank Great you. Great talking to you. Nice to speak to you. Take care. You have been listening to Conversations on the Menopause with me, Louise Halliday. For a positive approach to your hormonal transition, please visit my website, atreraaromatics.com. That's Atrera, O-T-R-E-R-A, where we celebrate the nature of womanhood.
You can also find me across various social media platforms. Thank you for listening and please feel free to contact me with any questions or to join the conversation. I really hope you'll join me again next time.